Chapter 16 of A Float on the Ohio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Timothy Livright. Chapter 16 New Switzerland, an old time river pilot houseboat life on the lower reaches, a philosopher in rags, wooded solitudes, arrival at Louisville. Near Madison, Indiana, Sunday, May 27th. At supper last night, a houseboat fisherman, going by in his skiff, parted the willows fringing our beach and offered to sell us some of his wares. We bought from him a two-pound catfish, which he tethered to a bush overhanging the water until we were ready to dress it, giving us warning that, meanwhile, it would be best to have an eye on our purchase, or the turtles would devour it. Hungry thieves, these turtles, the fisherman said. You could leave nothing edible in water or on land unprotected without constant fear of the reptiles, which reminds me that yesterday the doctor and the boy found on the beach a beautiful box tortoise. Our fish was swimming around finely at the end of his cord when the executioner arrived and when finally hung up in a tree was safe from the marauders. This morning the fisherman was around again, hoping to obtain another dime from the commissariat, but though we had breakfast creditably from the little cat we had no thought of stocking our larder with his kind so the grisly man of nets took a fresh chew of tobacco and sat a while in his boat passing the time of day with us punctuating his remarks with frequent expectorations the new Kentucky houseboat law taxes each craft of this sort seven and a half dollars, he said, five dollars going to the state and the remainder to the collector. There was to be a patrol boat to see that the fellers done step to the captain's office and settle, but the houseboaters were going to combine and fight the law on constitutional grounds, for they had been told that it was clearly an interference with commerce on a national highway. As for the houseboaters voting, well, some of them did, but most of them didn't. The Indiana Registry Law requires a six-month's residence, and in Kentucky it is a full year, so that a houseboat man who moves about any just isn't in it, sir, that's all. However, our visitor was not much disturbed over the practical disfranchisement of his class, it seemed, rather to amuse him. He was much more concerned in the new tax, which he thought an outrageous imposition. In bidding us a cheery goodbye, he noticed my Kodak. Ye's be one of them photograph parties, hey? And laughed knowingly as though he had caught me in a familiar trick. No child of nature so simple in these days as not to recognize a Kodak. Warsaw, Kentucky, 524 miles just below, has some bankside evidences of manufacturing but on the whole is rather down at the heel. A contrast, this, to Vevey, 
533 miles, on the Indiana shore, which, though a small town on a low-lying bottom, is neat and apparently prosperous. Vivet was settled in 1803 by John James Dufour and several associates from the district of Vivet in Switzerland, who purchased from Congress four square miles hereabout, and christening it New Switzerland, sought to establish extensive vineyards in the heart of this Middle West. The Swiss prospered. The colony has had sufficient vitality to preserve many of its original characteristics unto the present day. Much of the land in the neighborhood is still owned by the descendants of Dufour and his fellows, but the vineyards are not much in evidence. In fact, the grape-growing industry on the banks of the Ohio, although commenced at different points with great promise by French, Swiss, Germans, and Americans alike, has not realized their expectations. The Ohio has proved to be unlike the Rhine in this respect. In the long run, the vine in America appears to fare better in a more northern latitude. Three miles above Vivay, near Plum Creek, I was interested in the Indiana farm upon which Heathcote Pickett settled in 1795, some say in 1790. In his day, Pickett was a notable flatboat pilot. He was credited with having conducted more craft down the river to New Orleans than any other man of his time, going down on the boat and returning on foot. It is said that he made over twenty trips of this character, which is certainly a marvelous record at a time when there were only Indian trails through the more than a thousand miles of dense forest between Vivay and New Orleans, and when a savage enemy might be expected to lurk behind any tree ready to slay the rash pale-face. Pickett's must have been a life of continuous adventure, as thrilling as the career of Daniel Boone himself. Yet he is now known to but a local antiquarian or two, and one stumbles across him only in footnotes. The border annals of the West abound with incidents as romantic as any which have been applauded by men. Daniel Boone is not the only hero of the frontier. He is not even the chief hero. He is but a type whom an accident of literature has made conspicuous. The Kentucky River, 541 miles, enters at Carrollton, Kentucky, a well-to-do town with busy-looking wharves upon both streams through a wide and rather uninteresting bottom. But over beyond this, one sees that it has come down through a deep-cut valley rimmed with dark rolling hills which speak eloquently of a diversified landscape along its banks. The Indian Kentucky, a small stream but half a dozen rods wide, enters from the north five miles below. Injun Kentuck, it was called by a jovial junk boatman stationed at the mouth of the tributary. There are on the Ohio several examples of this peculiar nomenclature. A river enters from the south, and another affluent coming in from the north nearly opposite will have the same name with the prefix Indian. The reason is obvious. 
the land north of the ohio remained indian territory many years after kentucky and virginia were recognized as white man's country hence the convenient distinction the river coming in from the north near the kentucky for instance became indian kentucky and so on through the list houseboats are less frequent in these reaches of the river the towns are fewer and smaller than above consequently there is less demand for fish or for desultory labor yet we seldom pass a day in the most rustic sections without seeing from half a dozen to a dozen of these craft sometimes they are a few rods up the mouths of tributaries half hidden by willows and overhanging sycamores or in picturesque little openings of the willow fringe along the main shore or boldly planted at the base of some rocky ledge at the towns they are variously situated in the water up the beach away or high upon the bottom whither some great flood has carried them in years gone by occasionally when high and dry upon the land they have a bit of vegetable garden about them rented for a time from the farmer but even with the floaters chickens are commonly kept generally in a coop on the roof connected with the shore by a special gangplank for the fowls and the other day we saw a thrifty houseboater who had several colonies of bees there was a rise of only two feet last night evidently the flood is nearly at its greatest we are now twenty feet above the level of ten days ago and are frequently swirling along over what were then sharp stony slopes and brushing the topmost boughs of the lower lines of willows and scrub sycamores thus we have a better view of the country and approaching closely to the banks can from our seats at any time pluck blue lupine by the armful it thrives mightily on these graveled shores and so do the bignonia vine the poison ivy and the virginia creeper the hills are steeper now especially in indiana many of them although stony worked out and almost worthless are still in patches cultivated to the very top but for the most part they are clothed in restful green overhead in the summer haze turkey buzzards wheel gracefully occasionally chased by audacious hawks and in the woods we hear the warble of songbirds shadowy idle scenes these rustic reaches of the lower ohio through which man may dream in nature's lap all regardless of the workaday world it was early evening when we passed madison indiana five hundred and fifty three miles a fairly prosperous factory town of about twelve thousand souls scores of the inhabitants were out in boats collecting driftwood and upon the wharf was a great crowd of people waiting for an excursion boat which was to return them to louisville whence they had come for a day's outing it was a lifeless melancholy party as excursion folk are apt to be at the close of a gala day and they wearily stared at us as we paddled past just below on the kentucky shore on my usual search 
for milk and water, I landed at a cluster of rude cottages set in pleasant market gardens. While the others drifted by with Pilgrim, I had a goodly walk before finding milk, for a cow is considered a luxury among these small riverside cultivators. The man who owns one sells milk to his poorer neighbors. Such a nebab was at last found. The animal was called down from the rocky hills by her barefooted owner who, lank and malaria-skinned, leaned wearily against the well curb, while his wife, also guiltless of hose and shoes, milked into my pail directly from the lean and hungry brindle. By the time the crew were reunited, storm clouds thick and black were fast rising in the west scudding down shore for a mile with oars and paddle aiding the swift current we failed to find a proper camping place on the muddy bank of the far-stretching bottom raindrops were now pattering on our rubber spreads and it was evident that a blow was coming but despite this we bent to the work with renewed vigor and shot across to the lee shore of indiana finally landing in the midst of a heavy shower and hurriedly pitching tent on a rocky slope at the base of a vertical bank of clay above us a government beacon shines brightly through the persistent storm with the keeper's neat little house and garden a hundred yards away in the treetops up a heavily forested hill beyond the wind moans right dismally in this sheltered nook we shall be but lulled to sleep with the ceaseless pelting of the rain louisville monday may twenty eighth at midnight the heavens cleared with a cold north wind the early morning atmosphere was nipping and we were glad of the shelter of the tent during breakfast the river fell eight inches during the night and on either bank is a muddy strip which will rapidly widen as the water goes down below us twenty rods or so moored to the boulder-strewn shore was a shanty boat in the bustle of landing last night we had not noticed this neighbor and it was pitch dark before we had time to get our bearings i think it is the most dilapidated affair we have seen on the river the frame of the cabin is out of plumb old clothes serve for sides and flap loudly in the wind while two little boys who peered at us through slits in the airy walls looked fairly miserable with cold the proprietor of the craft came up to visit us while breakfast was being prepared and remained until we were ready to depart a tall slouchy fellow clothed in shreds and patches he was in the prime of his life with a depressed nose set in a battered though not unpleasant countenance none of our party had ever before seen such garments on a human being old bits of flannel frayed strips of bagging stuff and other curious odds and ends of fabrics in all the primitive colors the whole roughly basted together with sack thread he was a philosopher was this rag-tag and bobtail of a man a philosopher with some mother-wit about him for an hour he sat on his haunches crouching over our little stove and following with cat-like care w s every movement in the culinary art 
She felt she was under the eye of a critic who, though not voicing his opinions, looked as if he knew a thing or two. As a conversationalist, our visitor was fluent to a fault. It required but slight urging to draw him out. His history and that of his father's for three generations back he recited in much detail. He himself had, in his best days, been a subcontractor in railway construction. But fate had gone against him, and he had fallen to the low estate of a shanty boatman. His wife had gone back on him, and he was left with two little boys whom he proposed to bring up as gentlemen. Yes, sir, gentlemen, you hear me? If I is only a shanty boat feller. I thought I'd come to visit of you he had said by way of introduction. You're from a city, ain't you? Yeah, I just thought hit. City folks is uh, more accommodating than country folks. Why, well, you fellers just go back here in the hills away, and them thar country folks, they'd hardly answer you. They're that selfish-like. Give me city folks, I say, for getting along with and then in a rambling monologue while chewing a straw he discussed humanity in general and the professions in particular i ain't got no use for lawyers mighty hard show them fellers has for getting to heaven as for doctor well they have hard sledding too but them fellers has to do piles of disagreeable work yes they do i'd just rather fish for a living than be a doctor still sir give me an educated man every time says i well sir and you hear me one of the richest fellows right here in madison was born and raised on a shanty boat and no mistake he just don't pick up his education from folks passing by just as your fellows is a passing and they might say a few words of information to him he don't get a fine education just that way and they ain't no flies on him these days when money gettin' is round. Just nothing like it, sir. Education does the biz. An observant man was this philosopher, and had studied human nature to some purpose. He described the condition of the poor farmers along the river as being pitiful. They had no money to hire help, and were an odd lot, anyway. The farther back in the hills you get, the worse they are. He loved to talk about himself and his lowly condition in contrast with his former glory as a subcontractor on the railway. When a man was down, he said, he lost all his friends, and to illustrate this familiar phase of life told two stories which he had often read in a book that he owned. They were curious old-fashioned tales of feudal days evidently written in a former century. He did not know the title of the volume and he related them in what evidently were the actual words of the author. A curious recitation in the pedantic literary style of the ancient storyteller, but in the dialect of an Ohio River cracker. His greatest ambition, he told us, was to own a floating sawmill, although he carefully inquired about the laws regulating peddlers in our state, and intimated that some time he might look us up in that capacity in our northern home. 
as we approach louisville today the settlements somewhat increase in number although none of the villages are of great size and especially in kentucky they are from ten to twenty miles apart the fine hills continue close upon our path until a few miles above louisville when they recede leaving on the kentucky side a broad flat plain several miles square for the city's growth for the most part these stony slopes are well wooded with elm buckeye maple ash oak locust hickory sycamore cottonwood a few cedars and here and there a catalpa and a pawpaw giving a touch of tropical luxuriance to the hillside forest while blackberry bushes bignonia vines and poison ivy are everywhere abundant otherwise there is little of interest to the botanist red birds catbirds bluebirds blackbirds and crows are chattering noisily in the trees and turkey buzzards everywhere swirl and swoop in mid-air the narrow little bottoms are sandy and on lowland as well as highland there is much poor rock bewitched soil the little whitewashed farmsteads look pretty enough in the morning haze lying half hid in forest clumps but upon approach they invariably prove unkempt and dirty and swarming with shiftless barefooted unhealthy folk whom no imagination can invest with picturesque qualities their ragged unpainted tobacco sheds are straggling about over the hills and here and there a white patch in the corner of a gray field indicates a nursery of tobacco plants soon to be transplanted into ampler soil it is not uncommon to find upon a hillside a freshly built log cabin set in the midst of a clearing with bristling stumps all round reminding one of the homes of new settlers on the faraway logging streams of northern wisconsin or minnesota the resemblance is the closer for such notches cut in the edge of the indiana and kentucky wilderness are often found after a row of many miles through a winding forest solitude apparently but little change from primeval conditions now and then we come across quarries where stone is slid down great chutes to barges which lie moored by the rocky bank and frequently is the stream lined with great boulders which stand knee-deep in the flood that eddies and gurgles around them on the upper edge of the great louisville plain we pitched tent in the middle of the afternoon and having brought our bag of land clothes with us in the skiff from cincinnati took turns under the canvas in effecting what transformation was desirable preparatory to a visit to the city in the early twilight we were floating past towhead island with its almost solid flank of houseboats threading our way through a little fleet of pleasure yachts and at last shooting into the snug harbor of the boat club the good-natured captain of the u s life-saving station took pilgrim and her cargo in charge for the night and by dusk we were bowling over metropolitan pavements en route to the house of our friend strange contrast this lap of luxury to the soldier-like simplicity of our canvas home we have been roughing it for so long less than a month although it seems a year that all these conveniences of civilization these social conventionalities have to us a sort of foreign air 
Thus easily may man descend into the savage state. End chapter 16